You see the title on the screen, War of Words, Getting to the Heart of Our Communication Struggles. So for the next several weeks, we're going to be tackling this issue of how we talk, communication. And I love talking about how we talk uh, for this reason. One of the first rules of public speaking is that you know your audience. That is, when you get up to talk to people, if, if at all possible, know something about who it is you're talking to. And the more you know about them, try to tailor what you're saying so that it'll resonate, have some relevance to the people that you're, you're speaking to. Now, if you go and speak to a men's group, then that's fairly easy. I get a chance to speak at a retreats every now and then, a men's retreat, a young adult retreat. And so, when I prepare the stuff I'm going to say, to a men's group, I think about specific issues that men struggle with. And I want to address those issues, knowing your audience so that you can adapt what you say so that it's as relevant as possible to that particular audience. Men's group, a young adult group, I know something about what men struggle with. I know something about what young adults struggle with. I still remember being a young adult. And so I try to adapt it. Those of you that attended our men's retreat uh, a few weeks ago, Pastor Chris Anderson did the very thing I'm talking about. He tailored his messages to address things that men struggle with. And that's why it was one of the most profitable men's retreats we've ever had. And those of you who've gone in the past and didn't go this year, you made a big mistake by not going. And the recordings, though, are out at our website, and I would encourage you to listen to them, men. So if you have a targeted, homogenous audience... What's that mean? Homogenous means it's the same. People are in the same demographic. They're in the same target group. It's a homogenous group so that you can then tailor what you're going to say to them. Well, what's that have to do with talking about talk, talking about communication? Well, here's why I really like this subject. Because when you pastor a church and you preach and teach every week, you're talking to a diverse audience. This, this group right here, completely diverse in terms of age, in terms of gender, in terms of life experience. And so you think about knowing your audience and how to talk to an audience of people who are coming from completely different backgrounds. And your topic is going to be, you know, drunkenness. Well, that may apply to more people than you, than you realize, but it certainly doesn't apply to everybody. Or maybe, we're talk maybe I'm going to talk about marriage. But, of course, that's not going to apply to a certain segment of, of people. So when you don't have a homogenous group, everybody's not in the same demographic, there are certain subjects that just don't touch everybody that, the same way. And you're dependent upon, very much dependent upon, the ability of the people that are listening to abstract the teaching so that they can apply it to themselves. Here's what I mean by that. You know, if I were talking about alcoholism and you say I'm not an alcoholic, then you would want to abstract that to the sorts of things that you're addicted to other than, than alcohol. Truth of the matter is, I went to a, a conference a couple weeks, a couple years ago called The Addict in Us All. That we all have these addictive sort of tendencies. And so in teaching it, you'd want to try to make that connection, but you're dependent upon the people listening to abstract that a bit, and it's a bit harder to see the direct relevance. All right. So why do I love talking about talk? Because it applies to everybody. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what gender you are. How you use your tongue, how you use your words, 
matters to you, matters to me, because we all do it all the time. It is a subject that none of us is exempt from. All of us are involved in this most important issue of communication, how we use our words, how we, how we talk. And so, what are we going to need to do if we're going to look at what the Bible has to say about the use of our words, communication, the war of words, the struggles that we have in our communication to and from, and from one another? Well, here's the first thing we have to do. And... I have this in outline form in my notes. You can listen to it again because all of our stuff is recorded on our website or you can jot some of this down or you can just lock it all up here or take a nap, whichever, the, whichever you prefer. But here's the first thing that all of us need to do if we are going to get to the heart of our communication struggles. It is this. We need to take this issue as seriously as God takes it. The first thing we've got to do is take this issue of the way we communicate, the way we give and receive communication. We have to take it as seriously as God takes it. Now, how seriously does God take it? That's why I had the Bibles distributed for you, and I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 1, first chapter in your Bible. Take this as seriously as God does. How seriously does God take it? And as you look at Genesis 1, and if you're not familiar with your Bible, just open to like the first page after the table of contents, you'll find Genesis, Genesis 1. And most of you will know that Genesis 1 is the account of creation. It begins in verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and then goes through God's creative activity on the successive days of creation. And he marks those days as regular 24-hour days by saying the evening and the morning were the, were the first day. And so there's a sort of cadence that goes through the first several verses of the first chapter of the Bible. God is creating, and on the first day he created, and the evening and the morning were the first day. And on day two, God created some other things, and the evening and the morning are the second day. And on it goes with this sort of rhythm to it that is then broken up when you get to verse 26. Something different, something profound happens. <clears throat> God's engaged in this creative activity, but then in verse 26, these three words begin that verse. Then God said. And so God now is talking. But he's not just talking in general. Notice down in verse 28. God blessed them and said to them. So you have this creative activity going on. God creating. Day six creates humanity. He creates the man and the woman. And then verse 28 tells us, and God says, but he doesn't just say, let there be light in general, talking to no one in particular. He says to them in verse 28. Be fruitful and multiply. Now, as you're reading through the first chapter of your Bible, it would be very easy for you to skip over that. As we're going to take communication, how we give and receive communication as seriously as God takes it, if we're going to do that, then we can't skip over the profundity, 
the profound nature of verse 28 of Genesis chapter 1. God says to them, be fruitful and multiply. Now, here's why that's profound. What does that tell you about these people who were freshly minted? These folks were just made. And the first thing God does is what? He communicates to them. He talks to them. He says to them. He commands them. He instructs them. First thing God does is talk to his newly minted man and woman. Well, there's all sorts of implications that come out of that. They were made, minute one, to be able to receive revelation from God. Communication from God. They were made to be revelation receivers. Revelation is just God making known. And they were made to have the capacity to receive that from God. As we're going to see, they have the capacity to give communication as well. But right from the outset of the Word of God, you see that the linguistic capability of human beings is innate. That you have it built in, the ability to receive communication. So, those of us that are parents can remember, some of you are going through it right now because you've got a little one at home that's learning to talk. But it's amazing how they just pick this stuff up, isn't it? And they just have this innate ability to verbalize. And they're going to let it be known, even when they can't form the words, they're letting, they're letting it be known. I am not happy here. Or if you're tickling them and they're ticklish, they'll let it be known that they are happy by the cooing and the, and the giggling and all of that, or just the screaming and the crying. And then, you know, in short order, they're able to form these words. It's amazing how they're able to do that. I look at my girls now, 14 and 11. 14 and 11, where's the time gone? And I hear them talk. I hear them talk to me. I hear them talk to each other. I hear them talk to their friends. And I go, wow, where did they get all that? Really? I mean, it was just yesterday that I was holding them on my knees, you know, and they were just giggling and all that and learning to just get a few words out. But they learned to do it, and they have this amazing capacity to receive communication and also to give communication. Human beings were made with that capacity. If we're going to take it as seriously as God takes it, we have to start with understanding that communication then is a gift. The linguistic ability that we have is innate for us. It's a gift, but it's not just any gift. It's a gift from God. You know, a lot of people, you could talk to a secular, atheistic, agnostic linguist, and you say, this ability in humans is a gift. And they may say, yeah, because they're amazed at it as well. But we're saying something more than it's just a gift in general. It's specifically a gift from God. And here's why that matters then. If you're going to take communication as seriously as God does. Recognizing that it's not just a gift. It is a gift from God means a number of things. It means that our communication has purpose to it. God gave us this ability for a reason. I've already hinted at some of the reason that God has given us this ability. Receive his revelation. Learn about him. Catch his instructions. Know what he wants from us. Know why he put us here. 
Have him tell us what he wants us to accomplish. Be fruitful and multiply. And he's going to give a lot more instructions as he continues to unfold his revelation to those he's made. Because it's a gift from God, it has purpose to it. God gave it for reasons. He has purposes for the innate communication ability that you and I have. What are they? Let me give you a few. Know him. To know God. God gave us this ability for a purpose. What purpose? God wants us to know him. He wants us to know him well. And thus he's going to tell us about himself. And he wants us to tell others about him. So he gives us this communication ability for a purpose, to know him. Secondly, to teach others about him. To receive his revelation, a third purpose, receive his revelation, just in general. Even, even revelation that's not specifically about his character, but just about his purposes and why he does what he does. Fourthly, to praise him with our lips. God gave us communication ability. It's a gift, not just a gift, a gift from God, a gift, therefore, that has purpose. One of those purposes, praise God with your mouth, with the way you use your tongue, with the way you use your words. So if we're going to get to the heart of our communication struggles in the war of words, first thing we've got to do is take this issue as seriously as God takes it. And that means understanding that our ability to communicate is a gift from God that has his purposes attached to it. But because it's a gift from God, it not only has his purposes attached to it, but here's a second thing it has. It's a gift from God. Therefore, it's purposeful, but it is also moral, moral. I mean, how you do it matters now. Because how you talk is now something that you are doing before the face of the one who gave you that ability. God is now part of the equation. There's a moral component to how you speak and how you receive communication. Well, that starts to up the ante all of a sudden, doesn't it? I mean, I was, I was happy to come to a class on war of words, getting to the heart of our communication struggles, when I thought the idea here was for you to straighten out my bozo husband and the way he fails to talk to me. But I can see already, preacher, that you've gone from preaching to meddling. Because it appears you're intent on applying this to all of us, male and female. Whatever age we are, because I'm making the case that this is a gift from God and therefore it's not only purposeful, but it is moral that we talk and we receive communication in the presence of God, the one who gave it. Well, that makes this extremely serious then. That means that each of your words and my words carries moral freight. Each of your words and my words carries moral freight. Wow. You mean I got to think about the stuff I say? Because God cares about the words that come out of my mouth? And all you're saying all of them carry moral freight? Even when it just slipped? 
Now you say that, and I say that, it just slipped. But I've been looking in the Hebrew and Greek, I can't find that. In the Bible, it just slipped. But let me tell you what I do find. Turn to Matthew 12. I'm making the case that our communication really, really matters to God. And because it's a gift from God, given for His purposes, there's a moral component then to how we use this gift. How we receive and how we give words. Matthew chapter 12, verse 33. It's page 540, by the way, 540 in the Bibles the guys gave out. Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Make a tree bad, its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Oh, that hurt. But it just slipped out. And Jesus' response would be, it came out because it was in to begin with. It is out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. But it goes on. Verse 35, the good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. The evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that men will have to give account for every careless word they have spoken. I mean, that's enough to just make you choke, isn't it? You mean I can't just froth at the mouth the way I feel like and the way I've been doing? That what I say matters to God. It would appear Jesus says that, doesn't it? That there's a moral, a profoundly moral component to how I talk. And we're going to see later how I receive talk from others as well. So if we're going to get to the heart of our communication struggles, the first thing we've got to do is take this as seriously as God takes it. And to do that, we've got to remember this is a gift, but not just any gift, a gift from God. It has purpose to it. It has a moral component to it. Jesus cares about how you use the gift that he has provided to you for your purpose, for his purposes. And if we pervert his purposes for our own ends... There's a judgment for that. Every careless word spoken. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now this, what's happening right now, happens every time I talk about this issue of communication, words, how we talk, all of that. This happens every time. You guys are all listening and you're interested. And why? Because of what I said at the beginning. What I'm saying here convicts me to the heart. And it convicts you to the heart because you know it applies to you. And as you start to think about how you use your words and how carelessly we use our words, you say, Lord, I need instruction on this. I need help on this issue. What's going on with that now? Thanks. <laughs> Look that way? Okay. Now, all of that would be fine 
Jesus says in Matthew 12, you know, out of a, a good tree gives good fruit. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, as long as I'm a good tree, the words are good. We're good. It's all good. But, of course, we know we are not good trees. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, how's your heart? Well, the Bible has something to say about how your heart is. Turn to Jeremiah. Jeremiah, chapter 17. Jeremiah 17. I'll give you the page number. 426. Page 426 in the Bibles the fellows handed out. Jeremiah 17. So out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Okay, good. I've got a good heart. Bless his heart. He has, he has a good heart. How many times do we say that? So-and-so is just so good-hearted. And then here's what God says in verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? So not so fast, good-hearted one. Your heart and my heart is a mixture, yes, of pure motives. If we've been redeemed, if we've come to Christ, he's made a change within us. But it is a mixture with which we still struggle. And that heart spoken of in Jeremiah 17, 9, still manifests itself in your life and in my life. In the way we act and in the way we talk and in our attitudes, the heart is deceitful. It is not pure completely and will not be completely pure until we are glorified and with Jesus. In the meantime, we struggle with this. You struggle with this. I struggle with this. And so our hearts, then, have an agenda. The words come from the heart, but the heart has an ugly agenda. Where did the ugly agenda come from that produces, then, the communication struggles? Where did the heart with an agenda come from? Well, we were at the first part of your Bible. God gave them the innate ability to communicate, to receive his revelation so that they could use their lips to praise him, teach others about him, all of that. But then it went south, you remember. And if you will, turn back to the first part of your Bible. Now, the heart has an agenda, Genesis chapter 3. First two chapters of your Bible... You have this garden bliss, bliss in Eden. The man, the woman, their relationship with each other, their relationship with God. The only counsel, the only words that they receive are good words. And they have good hearts to receive and dispense those good words. That's all they have for the first two chapters. But you come to chapter 3 and there's the introduction for the first time in human history of another voice. Remember the first voice they heard was in Genesis 1:28, And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. But now you come to chapter 3 and there's the introduction of a foreign voice, a different voice, a contrary voice. Chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty, verse 1, than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman. Yeah. 
Don't gloss over that. Chapter 1, verse 28. God says to them, they have this ability to receive communication from God, but they also have the ability to receive communication from other than God. Chapter 3, verse 1. And so the serpent says to them. And now you've got a dialogue going back and forth. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman says to the serpent. He says to her. She says to him. And you go through and you've got several times where he said to her, she said to him. Ultimately, they disobey God. And now this ability to communicate. God-given gift for his purposes is now perverted for our own ends. So why do you have a communication struggle? Why do I have a communication struggle? It's because I have a heart struggle. The title is purposely chosen. I stole it from the title of a book, but still, it's purposely chosen. War of words getting to the, the heart of your communication struggles. The reason we have communication struggles is because we have a heart struggle. And the reason we have a heart struggle is because sin has come in as an intruder to reorient the gifts that God has given for ends other than God's purposes. So from Genesis 3 on, you now have people with profound communication struggles, a heart problem a sin problem that issues forth in our words. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, you're receiving counsel all the time. You're receiving words all the time. And now you live in a world, a fallen world, that has a mixture of godly words and ungodly words, but always with an agenda. Words carry moral freight. They always have an agenda. So let me illustrate that to you, that words always have an agenda. And how people speak and how you receive what people speak has a moral component to it. It has a, it has a, a slant to it that the individual has given in the, in the choosing of his or her words. Think of a weather, uh, a storm in the winter, a winter storm. And we had plenty of those this past winter. And I hope we don't have as many this next winter. But we're all familiar with it living in Michigan. Winter storm blast. Well, you've got several categories of people looking at that same phenomenon who are going to comment on it. And they all have an agenda, whether for good or ill. So you've got the weatherman. He's got an agenda. When he talks about the winter blast that's coming, what's his agenda? He wants and they want you to watch their show. So if the 6 o'clock news is going to come on and you're watching something at 4.30, they're going to break in with breaking news. And they're going to hype this thing to high heaven, right? Winter blast, two feet in the next two hours. I'm making that up, but that's the way they, you know, details at 6. Why? we got an agenda in the way we look at this and what we're trying to get you to do in something as seemingly innocuous as there's a winter storm coming. That's one slant from the weatherman. But you get the same winter storm that comes. The weatherman, he's loving it because this is more people watching him and he's hyped it as much as he can. 
But there really is a winter storm. It's usually half of what he said, but nonetheless. And so the morning comes, and here's another slant on that same issue, just a winter storm, snowfall. You're downstairs in your living room. If you're me, you're looking out the picture window at the snow, and you're thinking, Kim's going to have to shovel all that snow. <laughs> and I'm feeling bad for her at this point. And as, you're, and as you're standing there looking at that, you hear the thundering herd coming down the stairs. The thundering herd, if you have children, is just children coming downstairs. That's what it sounds like. But they're geeked because they heard the night before that there might be the snow blast. They prayed before they went to bed for all the missionaries and everything and that there would be no school the next day. So when they come out and they see it, they have an agenda and they say, cool, no school. That's two slants on it. You're getting counsel all the time, even in seemingly innocuous stuff like a snowstorm. So you got the weatherman, you got the kids. But then Kim comes down. And she looks out the same picture with, window with me. And she says, how beautiful. And I'm thinking, you are too spiritual for me. <laughs> I'm hating this snow. And you say, how beautiful. Of course, she's right. I mean, there's a beauty to it if you choose to see it that way, isn't it? Actually, what I'm thinking is it's easy for you to see the beauty because you're not going to be shoveling the stuff. But she says, how beautiful. That's a third view. And then there's a fourth view. You know, you decide to go out and take a walk in the neighborhood. And as you're walking, trudging along, you see a neighbor and you say, hey. And he lets out a blue streak as he's shoveling the stuff. You know, the blankety-blank, and why can't the blankety-blank? Hey, see ya. <laughs> Enjoy. Now, just in a snowstorm, you've got four different perspectives on the same thing. You, listen, you are always receiving counsel in various forms now. You are being communicated to in numerous ways, all with moral freight, all with an agenda to them. And so if we're going to get to the heart of our communication struggle, the first thing we've got to do is take it as seriously as God takes it. You've got to get down to the nitty-gritty level of, I'm receiving this stuff, and I'm saying this stuff, and it's a hard issue, and there is moral freight that goes with it. It's before the face of God. So what do I do? In our last couple minutes, let me give you an idea of the kinds of things we have to do then in light of all of that truth. And everything I've said is true. Because it's what the Bible teaches about God giving us this gift and about the gift being perverted and about there being now many counselors, many forms of communication coming at you that you have to sift through that agenda and discern. And so what are the kinds of things that you've, you've got to do? Well, one of the things is this. We've got to learn, if we're going to get to the heart of our communication struggles, we've got to learn to censor the messages we receive. Listen, friends. If words are sacred, that's a pretty good phrase. Words are sacred. If words are sacred, and they are, God gave them for His good purpose, for you to use for His purposes. If words are sacred, 
then it is not okay for just anybody to blast their way into my brain communicating whatever they want. It's not okay. And so, when you've got the the tube on more than we should, let's be honest, and then when the commercial comes on, it's not at the same volume as the show you were watching. Have you ever noticed that? It's a higher volume so that they can get your attention. And you've got, you know, crazy Eddie's used cars, and he's yelling into the thing, and you've got to act now. And I'm training myself to say, Eddie, you can't talk to me. i got too many other important things, any other important messages that I need to process. Eddie, you can't talk to me. I'm thankful for the mute button. The off button's even better, but the mute button helps. And, of course, they're the more overtly ungodly communications. And we make the mistake of only thinking of messages with an agenda as the overtly ungodly. But everybody's trying to get your attention, and your mind is hallowed ground. Your brain is hallowed ground for God's. It's set apart for God. Your words are sacred. The words you receive must be censored then. You don't just take in anything that somebody wants to offer. When you're in your car, you're listening to the radio, same thing. Just ask yourself, what is the inane stuff that I'm listening to? The chatter on the sports station, I like sports. Go Wings, 5 nothing last night. I like listening, I used to like, and would love to like more, listening to the sports station. But the absolutely inane chatter and sometimes out-and-out ungodly chatter that goes on, is not for the sacred ground that is my brain. And so the, the communication you receive, the messages you receive, we have to learn, if we're going to get the heart of our communication struggles, we've got to learn to censor the messages that we allow in. That's one. Here's another one. I've got a couple minutes left. We must begin, since there's this moral component, we must begin to take responsibility for how we talk. We've got to take responsibility for how we talk. So, you've got to stop. If you do this, you've got to stop saying, look, I was just not feeling well. I hadn't, I hadn't eaten anything. And so I was in a bad mood. And so I popped off. And, and you can go through and you've, you've all got your times I, I came home from work and I was tired and so I was irritable and so I snapped at you and so there's no moral freight to this it's just because I was tired is the idea or just because I've got low blood sugar and I need something to eat now I know firsthand because I got this whole low blood sugar thing that when I've got the low blood sugar, I'm irritable, and I snap, and all of that. And Kim could give you a bunch of testimonies about that. I know all about that. I'm not saying that doesn't happen. I'm not saying that's not a struggle. I can identify with it. Here's what I am saying. i got to take responsibility for that. It's no excuse. 
you've got to start taking responsibility for the words that come out of your mouth. Whenever, under whatever circumstances they come out of your mouth, you've got to start taking responsibility. There's a moral component to this. And let me just give you a little sort of you know, homemade test on this whole thing about the moral component of these words that come out when we got the low blood sugar, when we're tired, we just came home from work, it's my time of month, it's whatever. All the, all the things we use. How come good words don't just slip out? Have you ever thought of that? How come there's never a thing that just happens to you where you're out of your mind in a good way? Well, here's the reason. Well, we all know that it's because this is coming out of a heart, a defiled heart. And so we've got to begin taking responsibility. Start censoring our messages. Take responsibility for our words. I've got some instruction here as well for what we're then going to have to do with our children. Oh, Lord knows. With our children and how they talk and how they use this gift that God has given to them. But I'm out of time. So we'll continue over the next several weeks in the summer looking at this issue of war of words, getting to the heart of our communication struggles. Let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing on our week, all right? Father, thank you for the time that we can have to look at this extremely important issue, the importance of this issue and the, and the time and ink that your word gives to it cannot be overestimated. Lord, you've given us this ability to communicate. You've given it to us for your good purposes, and we've perverted it by our sinful hearts. And we continue, even having come to Jesus and having been in the process of being transformed, we still struggle with this now. Lord, help us in that struggle. Help us to take the first steps that are necessary to get to the heart of the issue, to take it as seriously as you do. Help us to see it very clearly, be willing to face how important it is, and then take measures accordingly. I thank you for this first lesson and these dear brothers and sisters who care enough about this issue to be here and to concentrate their minds upon this important theme. Go with us this week, we ask you, Lord. Grant us safety. Help us, Lord, to represent you in a way that's pleasing and honoring to you. Bring us together for our backyard fellowship and for our class on, on Monday. And especially bring us together next Lord's Day as we honor you at the Lord's table and in the, the observance of baptism. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.